Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast, brought to you by the Association of Texas Professional Educators and covering the hottest topics on Texas educators' minds today. Hello, and welcome to the ATPE podcast. My name is David George, and I serve as the editor for ATPE News Magazine. Today, we're going to be discussing districts of innovation, specifically what the law requires of them and how that designation can affect educators in those districts. We are joined today by Lance Kane, a staff attorney in the ATPE member legal services department for the past 17 years. For a little background, he spent the first 10 of those years as an on-call attorney taking calls daily from ATPE members. And he spent the last seven of those years um, as a travel and grievance attorney, providing our members with support and on-site assistance. So we're really happy to have you on the podcast, Lance. Thank you, David. Let's begin today with an explanation of districts of innovation, that designation. What does it mean and how do they differ from other districts? Yeah, um, so a district of innovation, they came about in 2015. uh, And one way to explain it would be to imagine a government coming up to a business and saying, why don't you just tell us what laws you wanna follow? Uh, and, And that's basically what the district of innovation law has done. It allows school districts to opt out of any uh, or nearly any uh, provision or law in the Texas Education Code. Um, And as you can imagine from an employee rights advocate point of view, that that was a little bit concerning. Um, And so we had questions about how far districts would go. um, And I mean, I, I do understand the rationale behind it. The point was mainly to provide districts with flexibility and local control. Uh, which makes sense because if you think about the school districts in Texas, there may be some that have seven or ten uh, students total. They're in tiny areas, you know, rural, remote, um, and then you can have school districts with ten or twelve high schools and thousands and thousands of students. So it, it does make a lot of sense in certain areas for there to be that flexibility and that local control. Um, our main concern, obviously, was the how far they would go with with the rights of educators. Um, and I mean, I guess the main difference between a normal school district would be a normal school district continues to have to comply with all of the laws in the Texas Education Code. Um, and in doing some research for this, it, it's not an easy uh, designation to get. There's actually quite a bit of steps that they have to go through. So maybe some of those districts that are, you know, quote, normal have just not gone through that process yet, or maybe they don't uh, meet the eligibility requirements. So to be eligible, they'd have to have at least a C accountability rating. Um, And then they have to take a lot of steps with the board. Uh, They'd have to do a a proposal with the board. There's committees, there's meetings, there's public hearing, there's sort of waiting periods. So some districts may just have not gone through that process yet. Um, And in terms of defining normal, at this point, there are about 85% of the districts in Texas that are districts of innovation. So, I mean, I think normal may be a district of innovation, um, and uh, and so you know, basically we look forward to uh, continuing to see how these kind of play out, and then hoping that they don't affect teacher rights too much. So, in return for a bit of flexibility, these districts of innovation are exempt from some of the legal requirements that other Texas schools must adhere to. What could that look like? Almost anything on, is on the table when it comes to what they can opt out of. Um, things like class size, uh, duty-free lunch, conference time, um, 
even salary, contracts, certification. So there's a whole number of different employee rights things that districts can opt out of. There's also some that make sense, um, you know, going back to the flexibility, there's some that make sense like start date. You know, some districts might want to have some flexibility with when they start the district. There used to be a very specific law on that, and now they can basically choose when to start. What legal requirements continue to apply to all school districts, including these districts of innovation? So yeah, the way the law is written, it's basically a list. So there are a list of exemptions to the exemptions, basically. Um, and it mainly covers sort of global governance issues with the school district. So things like board elections, um, open meetings uh, rules, uh, Public Information Act, um, they have to continue to have pre-kindergarten programs, uh, special ed, they, they can't, you know, kind of get away from the federal special ed laws. Um, things like conflict of interest. So a school district superintendent um, could not have a, you know, paving company and pay himself to do all of the pavements uh, for a school district. Um, nepotism, so, you know, there's some control there on hirings, uh, relatives. And, and I think that does make a lot of sense. It sort of maintains a level playing field when it comes to um, how a district governs themselves. It sounds like educator contracts could be impacted as well. How does the law protect educators in these districts? That is true. Um, if a district chose to opt out of the contract laws in the Texas Education Code, there would be no protections for contracts. Um, they could choose not to have a contract at all, um, but I think there are some sort of safeguards to that. Um, many districts are not going to want to convert teachers to an at-will situation where they can leave at any time in the school year. Uh, they want to lock the teacher in to uh, the school year and so they can have them there for the entire year. Um, so I think doing away with the contract rules entirely is, is less likely. Um, what more districts have done is sort of tweak the probationary contract rules. Um, and to give you a little bit of information on that, a, a probationary contract is what newer teachers get or what a teacher that's new to a school district will get um, if they're, even if they have some experience. Uh, it makes it a, a whole lot easier for a district to non-renew or terminate a contract at the end of the year. Um, with the probationary contract, the district does not have to have any good cause and they do not have to allow the district, uh, they not ha do not have to allow the educator to have um, any kind of hearing. So it, it's a lot easier to get rid of it, and it's districts um, you know, like that flexibility. So what a lot of them have done is extend that probationary contract period um, from a one-year uh, rule for an experienced teacher to maybe two or three years that they can put that new teacher on, um, even if the normal law would have them on a probationary contract for one year. What about teacher certifications, can they also be affected by District of Innovation exemptions? They can be. That, that is actually a very common uh, exemption. Uh, many districts have done that. It, and it started off, uh, a lot of districts were doing um, CTE exemptions, so career and technical education. Um, and that made some sense because when you're talking about looking to get a, a chef or uh, you know, an auto mechanic or a welder, um, a lot of those just might not have an educator certification. So that would allow school district to bring in a professional from outside you know, the education world um, to teach one of their classes and not have to go through the extra steps to get the teacher certification. So I think in a lot of ways, um, districts found that attractive and have used that method to hire um, sort of CTE teachers. 
we have seen some districts expanding that to sort of regular education classes. Um, and um, that continues to be a concern because, you know, when a district might put someone who doesn't have any experience in math into teaching math, um, that can be concerned across the board for, you know, parents, students, um, just how the educational pro program is run. Um, and there's, it also is interesting because when you look at a district of innovation plan, it'll have what the law is that they're exempting themselves from, and then sort of the district's rationale and how they're specifically going to handle it. So a district might say, we're exempting ourselves from the contract rule, I mean, sorry, from the certification rule, but we don't intend to hire teachers outside of their certification area um, unless absolutely necessary. So there, it's, it's not that the law itself um, is still in place. So the certification law is actually entirely exempted, uh, but the district will sort of place internal um, limitations on how they're supposed to do it. I've had a few situations where a district is kind of going against what their own limitations are. So that raises an interesting legal question, and you know, we really don't have the answer to that yet. So is there anything else that we should know about districts of innovation? Um, yeah, I think the big concern for us was always how it would affect educator rights. Um, you know, how they would expand their exemptions to maybe eliminate some of those rights. Um, and, and one way that I kind of look at it is, you know, the bowl of Halloween candy on a front porch with a sign that says, please take one. Is a district going to go up to that and, and you know, choose one exemption or maybe a handful of exemptions, or are they going to take the whole bowl and put it in their bag and, and, and walk off? Um, so I think it's been a very interesting experiment in sort of self-control, self-governance, um, and, and how far districts are willing to go with this. Um, but for the most part, it, it hasn't been as bad as we anticipated. So I think a lot of districts are taking a measured approach, um, doing things that will fit their um, sort of you know, local needs, and not really eliminating the most important educator rights. Now there are some that have. Um, but it definitely is something that it might give teachers something to look at when they're deciding which districts to apply to. Because um, you can actually look up a Districts of Innovation plan for every district that has one. Uh, it's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, the way I usually do it is just go to an internet search and hit TEA, List of Districts of Innovation, and then that will pull up an alphabetical order of list with a link that you can click on that takes you directly to their plan. So one thing a teacher might do if they're looking to apply to a district is just check it out and see whether or not um, there's anything that concerns them about that. Um, but overall, I think most districts have been, districts have been pretty responsible. Um, and I think that we you know, hope that that continues. Absolutely. Well, Lance, thank you so much for eloquently explaining all this information to us today. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, uh, you can send those to com at atpe.org. That's C-O-M-M at atpe.org. And we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Uh, thanks again for being here, and we'll see you next time at the ATPE Podcast. Thanks for listening to the ATPE Podcast. For more information about becoming part of Texas's largest community of educators, please visit atpe.org. The information provided in this podcast is for general purposes only. Individual legal situations vary greatly and viewers needing individual legal advice should consult directly with an attorney. Eligible ATPE members may contact the ATPE Member Legal Services Department.